Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles will show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, you just swap them out for more new-to-use styles. Since having kids, I have kind of lost my personal style and I'm using Armoire to help me find it again while trying out different brands and styles without having to add more physical stuff to my wardrobe. And I have a few events that are coming up that I know I am going to want some fancier items to wear than the items that I own. And I don't really want to go shopping for items that are going to sit in my closet without being worn after that one day. I hate the waste that that creates and I love that Armoire allows you to rent high quality designer clothing for any occasion and then send it back. I'm just really grateful that I have Armoire to help me dress for the occasion without having to add something to my closet permanently that I know I'm only gonna be wearing once. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armwire.style slash minimalish. That's armwire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash minimalish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armwire today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Minimalish, a podcast where we talk about simplifying our stuff, our lives, our motherhood, all in a realistic way so that we can make room for what matters. We're not here for perfectly tidy homes or seeing how much we can possibly declutter. We're here for living with less, realistically. It's going to look different for all of us, but we're not really focused on how our version of minimalism looks anyways. We're focused on how it feels. I'm your host, Desiree. I'm a mom to two and on my own journey of living with a little less clutter so I can have more space for an intentional life. I'm no expert and I like to think of this as a corner of the internet where we're learning and growing together. So let's walk towards a more simple and intentional life. Here's this week's episode. Welcome back to Minimalish. This week I have a guest on the show, Krista St. Germain. And we are talking about a topic that, I'm going to be honest, it is not fun to talk about. We are talking about grief. More specifically, we are going to talk about grief and clutter, grief and stuff, grief and letting go of things. We'll also talk a little bit about post-traumatic growth 
and how it's possible to not just survive after losing someone that you love, but thrive and go on to live a very fulfilling life, not in spite of the grief, as Krista says, but because of the grief. And I really love all that Krista brings to this conversation through her experience coaching others and through her experience losing her husband, through her experience as a widow going through the grieving process. Krista is a master certified life coach, a grief expert, a widow, a mom, and the host of the Widowed Mom podcast. She helps widowed moms get back to loving life. If you are experiencing grief from losing a loved one in any way, I hope that this episode supports you in some way that you need it today. And I also, if you're not going through that right now, I think this episode is a really great one to listen to, to know how to help and support others who might be going through grief. So I hope you listen in the way that Krista just shares her story and uses this really tragic thing that happened to her for good is so beautiful. But I do want to note that she does talk about her story and the loss of her husband in detail, especially through the beginning of the episode. So I know this can be a hard thing to listen to. I know this can be a triggering conversation to listen to for some people. So I just wanted to throw that out there for those that are not in a place right now where they could listen to a story like that. All right, let's go ahead and dive into my conversation with Krista. Krista, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Before we dive into our topic, which is something we haven't talked about on the show before, I would love to hear a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. First of all, I always get excited when anybody actually wants to talk about grief because nobody really does. So um, yeah, so I am a master certified life coach and a widow and a mom. And I started this journey really not ever um, according to plan, right? It's never the way you, you expect life to go. I was 40 and I was coming back from a trip that I had taken with my then husband and he, I had a flat tire on my car and I pulled over to the side of the road and he pulled up behind me and being the stubborn, stubborn guy that he was, he didn't want to call AAA and have them change the tire. He wanted to do it himself. So he was trying to change the tire, digging around in my trunk, trying to get access to the spare tire. And even though it was broad daylight, it was like 5.30 on a Sunday, um, and we had our hazard lights on, but a driver that we later found out had meth and alcohol in his system just did not see our hazard lights and crashed into the back of Hugo's car and trapped him in between his car and my car. And so I went from being honestly at an all-time high in my life, like this was my second marriage, my first one had not ended well, and this was kind of like... The redemption story, right? Proof that I could be happy. And like, I really felt like my best days were in front of me and just in a blink that got kind of ripped away. Right. So, um, therapy was super helpful in the early days of grief, but I found myself in this place, which I now call a grief plateau where I couldn't find the resources that I needed. Right. I, I, everybody was telling me I was doing great and I was so strong and 
I kind of understand why they were saying that, but I wasn't really feeling great or strong. I was just kind of in survival mode. And it just so happened that I discovered coaching at that point in time. And thankfully, because it was really exactly what I needed. And so when I figured it out for myself and kind of piecemealed all the grief resources together to give myself the support I was looking for, I decided that that's what I wanted to do for other women was to help them so that they didn't have to, you know, grasp for straws the way that I did at that point in time. So I specifically work with widowed moms and I help them love life again, not just like get used to the new normal that they didn't really ask for. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's such a devastating story. And you're right. This is not an easy topic to talk about. So I'm sure some people are really hesitant to approach this topic and it's important. If if we don't talk about it, then how are people going to, first of all, find someone like you that can help support them and know that they're not alone in in the situation, whatever it yeah. is for them. Yeah, and I think that's part of the big problem is that because we don't talk about it, then when we find ourselves in positions like that, we're so unprepared. And, you know, what I thought I knew about grief did not end up to be all that useful or accurate or helpful, and it really didn't reflect my experience. And that was pretty frustrating um, because, you know, I considered myself an educated person, right? But if all you ever know is the five stages and nobody's talking about any of the other, you know, umpteen grief theories that exist, then you expect it's going to be one way and and it's really not. And then you kind of wonder if there's something wrong with you, which is how I felt. Yeah. Well, I'm of course so sorry for your loss and it's hard to hear your story and I'm sure other listeners are feeling the same, but at the same time, if just one person today can relate in some way and, and can feel less alone then I'm glad that we're approaching this topic. First of all, I would love to hear a little bit about what your coaching looks like and I guess how you support women. So yeah, what what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of the container, it's a six-month group container. So everyone in the group is a widow, right? So they all have that shared experience and they're all in a place again, like I described, it's this grief plateau place where they're past the early days of acute grief, they're back to functioning. So they're surviving, but they aren't yet thriving. They haven't experienced post-traumatic growth. They're not really loving life again. So that's the sweet spot where I'm able to help them. But primarily we're focused on kind of two main things. One is the feelings aspect of grief. So a lot of us haven't been taught how to feel feelings. We're pretty intimidated by them. We're kind of trying to resist them or avoid them, get away from them, solve them as opposed to learning how to allow them. So that's immediately what we start with. And then the other huge piece is how we're thinking about who we are and what's in front of us and our loss, right? I didn't realize that after Hugo died, everything that was in my brain was optional, right? When I was telling myself that my best days were probably behind me, I just thought that was true. I didn't understand that was a story in my mind that I didn't have to listen to if it didn't serve me. I really just thought my best days were behind me and I should probably be grateful for what I had. And so learning to separate yourselves from your own cognitions, right? Your thoughts, and then be able to decide which thoughts you want to keep, which ones are moving you toward the experience you want, which ones are holding you back from the experience you want so that you can be in charge of what you choose to think is a huge piece of what I work on with women, right? So they are often very difficult to imagine themselves being happy again without their person. Their confidence is 
way less than they ever expected it to be, right? Their sense of identity and purpose really needs to be rebuilt. And so we work on all of that. And a lot of it sometimes too is, is stuff, right? Is what do we do with all the stuff and how do we navigate that and all the feelings around it? I want to take a break to give you a preview of a new podcast I started, which is called Minimalish Plus Coffee. And this is just going to be a quick one minute preview. But in this episode, I go on to talk about our journey with stopping homeschooling and what I learned about changing my mind through that journey. And you can just listen to this one minute preview. But it is part of the Minimalish Collective, so if you haven't heard me talk about that, that is just a Patreon community where we are diving into walking towards a minimalish life together, and we've got this bonus episode as well, so let's dive into the preview. It made me realize how much it is part of living intentionally to me to have the permission to change my mind and to make the choice to change my mind on something when I feel that it is necessary. But it's so funny that changing so much in such a short span of time, like I have recently, (laughs) even though they're all different changes, they're changes that have felt good to me, changes that felt right for our family. Sometimes I think that I look crazy to an outsider's perspective. And I was thinking about like, why is that? Why does it feel embarrassing to change, to make a change, to change our mind, to shift something that we're doing? Like, why do I feel crazy for changing? Why do I think other people are going to think I look crazy? And I think it's because the general, a general definition of success is how long can you stick to something? If you want to join the collective, you can go to patreon.com slash minimalish. That's going to be in the show notes as well. And I will see you over in the collective. Let's get back to today's episode. And of course, you know, that part of grief comes up when we are in the minimalism world. And, you know, I talk about decluttering minimalism on here and I have heard that question. Um, And, you know, Whether or not you're dealing with grief, other people's stuff that is in the house around you, that's if if you're just living with your family day in and day out, a lot of times we say, okay, other people's stuff isn't really in our control. But then we have a whole other situation when we lose someone that we love and whoever it is, really, um, if it is a spouse, then that is obviously stuff that is right in your home. But either way, oftentimes, like when, when we lose someone, we end up with their stuff to some degree. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to talk about today. And we're going to approach some other topics too, but that's really what I want to talk about for the bulk of our conversation. Sure. I want to hear a little bit about how have you seen a connection between grief and maybe clutter that um, someone might be dealing with in their home? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the couple of things coming to mind. So one is just like pre-existing clutter that has nothing to do with the loss. 
And when I'm talking about grief, I'm primarily coming from the lens of death-related loss. Like that's, of course, not the only type of grief, but that that is kind of the lens that I am um, most typically talking about. So there can be clutter that, you know, it was a loved one's, and then there can be clutter that was pre-existing. Regardless, I find if somebody's in an environment where there's a lot of stuff, it tends to be harder. <laughs> and, and I always... Um, want to be careful there because I really don't genuinely think that stuff has power over us, but I do think in my own experience and in the clients that I've coached, it's kind of like stuff is almost like this like energy vampire where it's just kind of constantly drawing your attention. And because you only have so much attention, it's very draining. And in grief, you, you might've heard the term grief fog, or I call it widow fog, but essentially it's, yeah. it's a diminished ability to process things cognitively, right? You, you kind of, the part of your brain that allows you to think critically is already fairly limited in its bandwidth anyway. And then you go upending everything hormonally and, you know, physiologically speaking in your, your body with grief, you have an even lower capacity to process. And so it feels like things that you used to be able to remember are, are hard to remember. You're like not paying the bills. You're forgetting to pick up the kids from daycare. You're putting your keys in the freezer. You're doing all these weird things that you wouldn't normally do because you have a diminished capacity to process. And so when you have a lot of clutter, then what I've experienced is that that just adds on to that diminished ability to process, right? Because it's taking your energy elsewhere. Um, so it can just make things a lot harder, right? And then, of course, yeah. there's the whole, what do you do with somebody else's stuff after they've died and all of the meaning that you have attached to that and the rules that you might not know you have around that stuff and other people's opinions about how you navigate that stuff and what you're making it mean emotionally if you keep or store or donate that stuff. It's all, there's a lot to it. Yeah, it adds a whole nother layer to the mm-hmm. intense feelings that and Mm -hmm. just struggle that is coming along with that season and I want to talk about like where it kind of fits into the grieving process when Mm -hmm. someone is at that point of letting go or maybe not ready to let go even like what does that look like how do you encourage Mm -hmm. someone through this um, when it comes to a loved one's things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always suggest people be super gentle with themselves and not worry about anyone else's opinion or any timelines that they might have heard. Um, I don't think there's any rush to deal with stuff. I think stuff is going to sit there. It's going to wait for us. And when we go putting pressure on ourselves to deal with it, because we're worried about what it means that we haven't dealt with it, you know, am I not doing well in my grief? What will other people think? I, I need to, you know, move on and I'm not. All of these kinds of internal dialogues that we have with ourselves just really make it so much harder. I know for me, I did it in, in stages and I never pressured myself. And so... What worked for me was I just would start to notice with no pressure. I would just notice like, okay, I think it's time. It's like certain items would kind of start to get my attention that I think it's time for me to deal with these items. So in my my um, primary closet, for example, all of his clothes were in there, right? And the shirts had a lot of memory and meaning to me. And it was way too intense to get rid of the shirts. But there was a certain part pretty early on where I decided, okay, it doesn't make sense for me to keep these pants. 
right? The pants mm-hmm. felt less emotionally challenging for me. And so I just let myself deal with the pants, right? And some of the shoes. And then I just did it gradually in stages. And I, I didn't do it before I was ready. And I know that's different for different people. It can't be prescriptive, but it was still hard, but it felt like the right thing to do. And I just kept trusting that voice and never putting pressure on myself to go faster than I was ready to go. And some of the harder things won't be the things that you expect either, right? Like his body wash was really hard to run out of, right? His shampoo was really hard to run out of. Things that you wouldn't think about donating or getting rid of or being, you know, things that you would save. Sometimes some of the lasts are actually really difficult when you're, when it's a consumable product. Yeah. You know, as you have said at your own pace, no judgment. Um, do not judge yourself. Do not put yourself on a timeline. I think that those are such wise words and so important. And like you said earlier, stuff doesn't have to, while it can steal our energy if it's everywhere, it doesn't have to have power over us. And so there should be no guilt attached to how long it takes. Do you find, though, that there is like a benefit in letting go of stuff? I guess it could be different for different people, but what have you seen with that? Yeah, I think it is different for different people. I was just coaching someone the other day on this in my group, and she was really giving herself a hard time because people had given her all these photos of her husband at the memorial. And so she put them up in the house, but she put them up out of a sense of obligation, right? So people of course are wanting to lift her up and make her feel better. But as she's looking at these photos, she was not being uplifted. They were, it was actually, you know, creating stress for her and, but she was making it mean something bad if she were to put those photos away. Right. So if that's where you are, put the photos away, right? It's okay. You can, you can put them away temporarily. You don't have to get rid of them forever if you don't want to. But I think we can create an environment that is supportive of what we need at the time, knowing that it's not right or wrong or good or bad, and it's different for every person. And what might be, what might feel supportive to one person isn't necessarily what's going to feel supportive to the other, right? There's, um, there's a, grief theory that I really like called the dual process theory of grief. And one of the reasons I like it is because it's just so gentle and and easy. And essentially what it says is that activities fall into one of two buckets. So there's grief related activities where we're thinking about the loss, we're dealing with the stuff, we're processing the feelings. And then there's non-grief related activities where we're just living our lives. Maybe we're having a hobby or we're doing something totally unrelated to the loss. And what the dual process model teaches is that the balance and the healing is found in the intentional back and forth, the oscillation from grief related to non-grief related. And so, so often people think, well, I've got to do all the grief related things. And if I'm not just doing grief related things, then that means I'm avoiding my grief or I'm doing something wrong, right? Or I'm hiding. And it's like, no, no, that's actually not true. You can take a break, which means if taking a break is putting away some photos, right? Or, or putting some stuff in storage because right now it's too much. That's okay. You can take a break from that. You can always come back to it later. Just because we take a break now doesn't mean we take a, you know, that it's gone forever. Um, it's just really getting rid of all the rules that people have on themselves about how you're supposed to do it. There is no right way to deal with someone's stuff or right way to grieve. You cannot do it wrong. And if we can get that, then we can say, okay, what is it that would feel supportive to me? What would feel loving to me? 
is it loving for me to just leave everything like it is for right now? Or is it loving for me to start going through things? Is it loving for me to call somebody else in and have them go through things for me because I don't want to, right? Maybe that's somebody's answer. People yeah. are willing to do those kinds of things if we ask. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, asking for help, I think, and in grieving is probably one of the most important times to ask for help. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it, it always feels hard for many of us to ask for help, especially moms, right? I love that encouragement. And I just love the individuality of, of how you're talking about this because it it has to be so different for each person. If someone is like at that point though, and they're, they're ready to let go of some things, but they're struggling to start, whether it's because of guilt of mm -hmm. like what they think they should keep or whether it's just their own feelings, but they, they do want to start the process. What are some practical first steps or encouragements? Yeah, I would say start really small. And by small, I mean, let's get rid of like, one item, two items, like start super small, so small that it almost seems ridiculous, right? Where you're like, surely I could do more than that. So maybe it's, okay, 10 minutes, right? Or 15 minutes, or it's one item or two items, but start super small. And then as you go about it, know that the worst part of it will be how you feel, right? That's the worst part of it is how you feel. And if you decide in advance, this is what I teach my clients, it's like feelings can't hurt us, right? They actually can't kill us. They're just vibrations in our body caused by sentences in our mind. They're going to pass in about 90 seconds. And if we can open up to them and let them flow through as we do the thing, it gets easier. So it's not about not feeling sad. It's about being willing to feel sad, right? Or however it is you're feeling. It's, it's not like sad's the only feeling you could feel, but whatever that discomfort is, you don't want to try to talk yourself out of it as much as you want to bring it with you and let it be there as you do the thing. So, you know, when I, th that first day, I remember it very vividly when I went through the closet and started gathering up pants and stuff, my narrative was, this is hard and I can do hard things. Like, you know, this is sadness. I can allow it. I wasn't trying to make myself not sad or trying to tell myself to be strong or suck it up. Right. I was very present with myself and, and letting myself feel how I felt and doing the thing anyway but no pressure, just allowance makes it much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is such a great encouragement. You know, as you talked about before, as moms, we often are like worrying about everyone else around us, whether that's someone else's opinion on how we deal with mm -hmm. our loved ones stuff, or we are worrying about the people who we have to take care of. How do you encourage a widowed mom who's just lost someone they love and they are grieving and they are feeling sad, but they also have their family to take care of. They have their kids to take care of mm -hmm. as well. And they want to help their kids through the grieving process as well. So what does that look like? How can um, mom support herself through all of that? It's such a good question. And my answer is super cliched. <laughs> but still really true, which is oxygen mask on us first, right? It seems like when a big loss happens, it can be really easy to think, well, I've got to put my kids first. You know, it's all about them now. I've got to do what's best for them. And I get that. And it's 
for most cases, you know, situations that are challenging like this are marathons. They are not quick sprints, right? They're like endurance sports. And so if we aren't actually taking care of ourselves first, then we're not going to be able to do justice to, to the children that we have and, and parent the way that we want to parent. And so we have to remind ourselves that, and that's different for each person. And I'm, and it's so much more than, you know, manicures and pedicures, but like, can we take time for ourselves? Can we ask for help? Do we need to take time off work? Like, can we figure out ways to, you know, get respite? Do we need to set boundaries? Do you know, what do we, what do we need that helps create an environment where we can support ourselves? And that's different for every person, but we gotta, we gotta figure that out. And then also we got to remind ourselves our kids are stronger and more resilient than we think. And sometimes what we think is that we need to protect them from how we're feeling, right? Or like deal with it alone. And what I've learned is that it's actually a far better approach to normalize what we're feeling and how it's going for us and show them that we, we're, we're, we're getting through, right? Like it's okay for mommy to be sad. It's okay for mommy to cry, right? And it's okay for you to be sad and for you to cry, especially if it's, you know, the loss of a parent or something that's also impacting the child. Because what makes emotions so hard as adults is that often when we were kids, our parents didn't do that for us. They hid their emotions from us. We didn't see them cry. We didn't see them, you know, upset or show us that it was okay to be those things. And so then when we feel that way, we think it's a problem that we have to solve as opposed to just a natural part of being human. And so I see grief as a beautiful opportunity to role model that for children so that later in life when something happens and they're sad, maybe, you know, they they understand, oh, it's okay to feel this way and to express this. And it's not something I have to hide. It's not something wrong with me or broken in me. This is just a part of being a human and grief is normal and natural. And, and that's how we, that's how we normalize it in the family is by, by showing that to our children. Yeah. I really love that you give moms who are, who are going through this hope that, there is not only just like getting through the grief, but that there is life after grief. And not only that, but yeah. but like you said, like thriving and happy days ahead. So I kind of just want to end with, I want to hear a little bit about like, what does that look like for you? If you don't mind sharing personally, like what, what did that look like for you to get to that point where you can yeah. say now that that you are thriving in a point where you thought at first, like your hap your best days were behind you. Yeah. Um, so this is why I love post-traumatic growth so much, right? I don't know if it's something that yeah. you are interested in or talk about, but post-traumatic growth, I remember when I heard it the first time, it was kind of like, like the record scratch moment where you're like, what, what did they just say? Post-traumatic what? Um, and post-traumatic growth is, uh, the idea that, well, it's not, it's more than an idea, but it's, it's a, phrase that was coined in the mid nineties by a couple of researchers. And they were noticing that after traumatic things happen to people, sometimes people, they would have this level of wellness that they experienced before the trauma. And then some people would dip down and never come back. Some people would dip down, but then bounce back to where they were before. And then there was this third category of people who would dip down, but instead of just bouncing back, they would actually bounce forward. And they were reporting greater levels of life satisfaction, like not in spite of the trauma, but actually because of the trauma. 
And I think that's possible for all people, right? Doesn't mean you have to have post-traumatic stress disorder. It just means that it's kind of like if a tornado comes and knocks down your house, I live in Kansas, so this is the the metaphor, but if a tornado comes and knocks down your house, you're going to have to find somewhere else to live, right? You could just rebuild the exact house that you have or had before. That would be fine. You could try. Or because you lived in that house for a while, you probably learned some things while you lived there. You probably figured out, oh, hey, I'd like a different kitchen layout. I'd like, you know, more lighting in this room. I'd like more closet space in that room. You could update the design to make it even more of what you want, utilizing the knowledge that you have from your life experience having lived there. That's post-traumatic growth, right? doesn't mean you didn't love the old house. It just means, okay, I've learned some things from living here in my human life, which for me was do I want to be doing this career? Like I worked in engineering management. I managed project engineers for an aviation company. That was what my husband loved doing. We worked at the same company, but I didn't love it, right? Are my relationships where I want them to be? Am I spending my time the way that I want to spend it? I had kind of completely forgotten how to dream. Like in my mind, it was just like, okay, you get married, you have kids, you know, you, you midlife, you're saving money, you're working, done. Like what's next? What what else might I want to do? So it's to me it is an opportunity to take stock of where you are relative to what you value and adjust accordingly. So for some people that means a career change. For some people that means, you know, changes in their spiritual connections, right? For some people that means deeper relationships or getting rid of some relationships and investing more time in other relationships. It's, it's not prescriptive. It's just, where are you relative to what you want in this one precious life? And sometimes, you know, a death experience can just really shake us up and wake us up. That's what it did for me. So I completely changed my career. You know, I, I quit my corporate job and went and got certified as a coach and I, I just never looked back and, you know, I value my, my, not that I didn't value them before, but I think moments feel so much more precious to me than they ever did before. Doing good in the world feels way more important than it felt before, right? Those kinds of things for me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. It's, I think, so encouraging to to hear. And thank you for using your story of this traumatic experience and losing someone you love so much for for good for others and to help other women thrive it's as amazing for me as it is for the women that I help right everybody's winning yeah (laughs) like I love it it's helpful for them um so I wouldn't ask for it to have happened but I am very proud of what I've done given that it did and I think that's the best we can ask for right Yeah. yeah well Thank you again for coming on the show and um, for all you've shared. I would just love to hear kind of like where listeners can find you and find more from you, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I am also a podcast host. My podcast is called The Widowed Mom Podcast. So it's very, very niched. But if anybody's interested in grief or how to support someone who's grieving, by all means, they can come and listen. And then I have a quick two-minute quiz that if anybody wants to learn more about uh, grief plateau and whether or not they might be stuck in one, they can take that. And it's at coachingwithkrista.com forward slash grief plateau quiz, which is a mouthful. Um, so yeah, those are two great places to connect. I can put that link in the show notes as well. Um, I do have two questions that I ask every guest. So I'll ask them before I let you go. The first one is what is something that you're simplifying right now? 
you're going to laugh at this one. Okay, so I'm looking out my window because I can see my backyard. I have probably 18 potted plants, like big pot, flower pots. Yeah. And this year, I <laughs> I am simplifying. Last year, I had probably five or six plants per pot. Like, it was crazy town. And this year, I have a <laughs> maximum of three, mostly two. And so I just went with geraniums and petunias and like very simple. So I feel way less overwhelmed. And they're all lovely. <laughs> I love that. The second question that I have is what's something that you're loving right now? I am loving that my 19-year-old is back from Spain. She spent the spring semester in Spain as a, as a freshman, and she spent the fall semester in Costa Rica, and she just got back this weekend. And so I'm loving like seeing her pictures and being able to hear her stories and having her here so I can hug her. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm yeah. sure that feels really great as yeah, a mom after totally. she's been gone for so long. Totally. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for coming on the show, Krista. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It is hard to talk about hard things. I'm not going to lie. It was hard for me to do this interview because it's hard to have these conversations. And for many of us, this is something that we don't even want to entertain. We don't even want to think about. For For others... It's reality. And so I wanted to bring this conversation to the show because I know that even though I wish it wasn't the case, I know that there are many of you struggling with grief in some way right now. So I wanted to to bring this conversation on the show for you. If you're not struggling with it now, like let's be honest, we will struggle with grief at some point in our lives. So with that said, if you know someone who is struggling with grief, or someone who wants to support a friend that is struggling with grief, please send this episode their way. You can share it with them in a text message. You can share it online if you like to share things on social media. I am grateful for you for any way that you share, and I'm just really thankful that you're here, that you're listening in, and I will talk to you right back here again on the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.